Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, week number two with Jonathan gone, and nothing has burned down yet, so it's a good thing. We might have water coming up from our floors, but nothing has caught on fire, so praise God. Um, (laughs) Well, recently, Hannah and I, uh, my wife, have been watching The Big Bang Theory on HBO Max. Um, Now, Nerdy, geeky guys in this show making nerdy, geeky jokes is a show made just for me. I love it. Uh, Hannah, uh, not so much. Uh, she doesn't like many sitcoms to begin with, because, especially those with laugh tracks, uh, because my strong, independent wife does not like being told what's funny and when to laugh, and so she can't stand when, when, uh, when laugh tracks are happening. And so in the, in the show, when a joke is made, I will just bust out laughing. I think it is hilarious, and I'll, and I'll, I'll like, oh, lean over and look at her and just nothing. <laughs> I'll be smiling and laughing, and her face is zero facial expression. This isn't funny whatsoever. Um, In the words of Michael Scott, I tell her all the time, you are a thief of joy. But (laughs) I'd rather her laugh at my jokes nine times out of eight than a TV show, so, you know, it it still works out. (laughs) Uh, Movies, TV shows, uh, speeches, speeches. there's always people watching and listening, and, and depending on your, your background or upbringing, everyone's going to have um, a different reaction to what is said. Um, and so we're going to look at this passage today, um, and we're going to see something of the similar sort. Uh, a message and a miracle ha- has just been given, um, and, and there are going to be three different reactions. And so in your bulletin this morning, um, the 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 sermon points are not necessarily um, the, the biggest and most important truths of this passage, but rather they are points of observation to help guide us and assist us in seeing the truth found in each of the different reactions, each of the different vantage points from this story. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into this passage. Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you for um, another uh, Sunday worshiping um, with our RCB family. I gotta pray that you would um, open our minds to understanding your word this morning. Your word is true. Um, your word transforms us, God. Um, Father, thank you for sending Jesus uh, to die on the cross, um, rise again, and make a way of salvation. Um, give us his word. Um, so yeah, Holy Spirit, um, use this time and, and teach us and, and, and grow our love for you and our mission um, uh, for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first viewpoint, um, first reaction we're going to pay attention to this morning um, is actually going to be that of the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin. Um, So y'all look with me at verses 13 um, through 18. 
It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them and is is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So you have these religious men um, who've just listened to to Peter preach. Um, And and, and Peter's sermon was was full of authority and and full of of boldness. And, and, And most importantly to these religious men, it was a direct attack on their authority and their power. And this is kind of what, what Chris preached on and teached on last week, uh, that they hated Peter. They hated John for, for this message. Peter cl- claimed that this crippled man who had just been healed was healed by Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Even more so, Peter claimed that these men were the ones who killed Jesus. Now, the sermon's over. Um, people have gathered in front of the religious leaders. And so standing in front of them, you have Peter and John, um, and next to them is the, the living walking proof of the miracle, the crippled man, or the, the previously crippled man. And then gathered around everyone else, um, you have eyes and ears of a small crowd beginning to, to watch and listen to what is going on. And now you have these, these religious leaders that are staring in utter disbelief of, of, of what has just happened, the message that was just preached. Um, and and the, the text kind of tells us what they're thinking. The text tells us that, that they're thinking, this is, this is Peter and John, uneducated, lowly, untrained fishermen. And they're, they're speaking this way to us, powerful, well-trained, very educated And what's even worse to these leaders is that they begin to realize that the apostles' boldness and their courage is coming and where it's coming from. The text says they they knew this and begin to realize that they had been with Jesus. They perceived, these leaders perceived that their boldness was a result of having been with Jesus. Now there's a lot there and we'll come back to it in a second, but the fact of the matter is right here for these leaders is that they were astonished that the apostles were emboldened by their enemy that they had killed weeks ago. And they were angry about it and they wanted to do something to them. However, they could not deny, flat out deny everything that had happened because standing in front of them was this previously crippled, crippled man who was walking, who was running the day before, shouting, praising God. They could not deny the miracle that had been taken place. You see, this, this healed man had been crippled from birth, from birth, and verse 22 shows us that he was 40 years old. So for 40 years of his, or most of his adult life, he was picked up, carried, dropped to the temple where he would beg. Everyone knew who, who he was, and, and the leaders couldn't say, nope, this man was never crippled. This is fake news. No, it wasn't. He was crippled, and now he can walk, and so they could not deny that this man was healed. This was a real, miraculous healing. 
It was no sleight of hand healing done by someone trying to grow someone's leg, but rather a miraculous healing done by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ Jesus. And the proof was literally standing right in front of them. So while they could not deny what they had seen, they turned to deny what they had heard. The leaders sent out the apostles, and they, they huddled up, they gathered up. They said, okay, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And with their power and their authority on the line, Caiaphas, the, the head honcho of this group, asked a familiar question. He had asked this question before to the same leaders not too long ago. He asked, what shall we do with these men? Now, the last time Caiaphas had asked this similar question, it was not about the disciples, but rather it's about Jesus. At that time, Jesus had just rose Lazarus from the grave, and people were, were gathered and marveling and singing praises to, to Jesus for his power and his authority. And so Caiaphas, in a similar situation where he is today, then with his power on the line, he gathered the leaders together and said, what shall we do with this man who is threatening everything that we hold on to? And they began to plot to kill him. So here's Caiaphas, once again, with a crowd of people marveling at a miracle performed, and everyone is giving credit to Jesus. What do you, what's he going to do? Caiaphas, with his, with his power on the line, has to make a decision. Would these same men have Peter and John killed right then and there? Not this time. Or better yet, or better said, not yet. The religious leaders didn't have the people on their side at the moment. And, and they would have to turn the people against the apostles like they had done with Jesus. The same people who had praised God for raising Lazarus were convinced to curse Jesus and yell, crucify him. So the people not on their side, these religious leaders, um, could not straight out deny the miracle that had happened. So their current problem still existed. A crippled man was healed, and they could not deny it. Instead, they decided to double down and deny Jesus. While they, while they could not deny the work that was done, they could deny the worker. Now, here's where we, as, as the church, need to really press into this passage. You see, these, these, leader, these leaders didn't oppose the miracle. They opposed God. They opposed Jesus. These leaders opposed God, and while they did not necessarily oppose the work of God, they did oppose the word of God. They had witnessed a miracle, and who could deny what a wondrous thing it was? A lame man could walk. I mean, really, like, what a great act. They were, they were open to accepting the work, but closed to accepting the worker. Church family, we must be careful to not find ourselves in a similar belief position as these religious leaders. Hear me. You cannot enjoy the benefits of the gospel without worshiping the benefactor of the gospel. You see, we, we all enjoy the there is freedom found in Christ sentiment, but all too often there are crickets when, it, when it's proclaimed, pick up your cross and follow me. Pastor Jonathan has already said this many times in our Acts series, but, but do not find yourself looking for the kingdom without the king. 
to accept his blessings and his provisions, and yet to oppose his message of self-denying, self-sacrificing, disciple-making mission is, is to just walk out of the room and not care at all of who he is. When God provides, we praise him. When God calls us to mission, we obey him. And when God presses in on our sin, we don't press back against him. Because to press back against the conviction is to oppose God, the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Let me say that again, because I think we ignore this way too often. To press back against conviction is to oppose God, to oppose his work in your life. Restoration family, when, when God presses in on your sin, do you press back? Ask yourself these questions. What sins are sensitive to me? Money? Sexuality? Freedom? What does it look like when God presses in on these sins of mine? And then, and then what does it look like for me to press back against God in response to it? You see, we, we have to ask and answer these questions because if we don't answer them, our work culture will answer them for us. God loves you, culture says, so you can't be that wrong. God is for you so you can do whatever it feels right. Follow your heart. You see, while these aren't necessarily completely false, they are certainly half-truths crafted by Satan given to our culture so that we may oppose God. Church family, let us not be found opposing God while enjoying his blessings. And let us not forsake the blesser of our blessing. Because to forsake the blesser of our blessing is to say that I, I want salvation, but I don't want Jesus. I want freedom, but I don't want mission. Hear me, the, the blesser is our blessing because Jesus is the greatest blessing. He's the greatest blessing, period. And so we, church, cannot and must not forsake our blesser. See, these Leaders were more than ready to oppose God at any cost to keep their power, their authority, their freedom. This was their viewpoint. They were opposing him. Now let's, let's go back and look from the apostles' point of view. So let's read verses 13 and then skip down and read 18 through 20 once again. So verse 13 says again, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they had recognized they had been with Jesus. Drop down to verse 18. Uh, so they called them back in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to judge or to listen to you rather than to the God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So here are the apostles in front of these leaders, where Peter has just finished preaching and they're standing together, Peter and John, confidently, boldly, and unwavering. Like, think like this is the mic drop moment. Like, they have just rock and boom, mic drop, but a little bit more humility and less, less pride. And, and all the leaders' eyes are on them and they're fuming and they're dumbfounded. So the leaders send out these apostles, already said, and they, they chat for a quick bit and bring it back in. And so now, 
being in the, the viewpoint of, of Peter and John, we need, we need to imagine and, 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 and kind of get a feeling for what they're thinking and feeling as these leaders bring them back in. Peter, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaimed salvation as found in Christ crucified and raised. And he preached this message to the same people who crucified and denied Jesus' resurrection. So, what did Jesus get for boldly proclaiming and preaching a message of salvation found in him? Crucifixion. What will these men get for boldly proclaiming a message, salvation, found in Jesus? Well, we would think crucifixion. And so we got to, you, got to, you got to imagine that as they're waiting to receive their punishment from these men that had killed their master for speaking the same message of their master, you've got to be thinking that they're remembering Jesus' words that he, that he spoke to them the night he was betrayed. Jesus said, a, a servant is no better than his master, for if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And here they are, speaking the same message of Jesus, and most likely expecting the same treatment as Jesus. So the leaders return with their judgment and punishment at hand. Silence kind of fills the room. Everyone leans in closely to hear the words of Caiaphas. The same Caiaphas who shouted in front of these same leaders that Jesus deserved death. So the silence is broken when the, when the punishment is decreed and they say, just stop speaking, stop, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Now, now I imagine that, that Peter and John are like doing a, like a, a confused double take at each other. Like stop speaking, like that's it? Like all we have to do is stop speaking? And if Peter and John were looking for an easy way out, here it was. You want an easy way out? Like, stop speaking is better than the death that they thought they were going to get. Right? Death? I mean, not speaking is better than death, except Peter and John did not feel this way. Instead, they responded to the leaders. They looked back at them and said the same boldness and the same authority that they spoke minutes earlier and said, oh, heck no. That's my version, but oh, heck no. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see, these apostles proclaimed God. Specifically, they proclaimed Christ as God, the second person of the Godhead. And they proclaimed God with boldness, not just once, but twice. They proclaimed the message boldly, and they boldly proclaimed that they would not be silenced. And so, having already looked at the leader's viewpoint, we, we, we shouldn't miss some irony that's going on right here. You see, these religious leaders had public power, yet feared using their authority in public. Remember, the, the people weren't on their side yet, so they really feared doing anything of authority. Now, Peter and John had absolutely zero public power, yet spoke boldly with authority again and again. And they did so with no regard to whether the people were with them or not, because God was for them and empowering them. You see, these, these apostles had no authority, had no training, had no education, yet acted as they did. So the question we must ask ourselves is how did they speak in this way and for what reason did they, they keep speaking time and time again? Now, the, the answers to these questions might seem obvious to some here today, but we're going to dig in and make sure we don't miss some of the truth here. So how did they speak in this manner? 
Well, the, the answer to this question is found in these leaders' response in verse 13. It says, when they, they saw their boldness, they knew that they were uneducated common men, but they had realized they had been with Jesus. You see, these leaders realized that, the, that these apostles had been with Jesus. These apostles proclaimed Christ with confidence despite their inadequacies. The boldness and confidence came from spending time with Jesus. And and, in fact, the the Greek term here for for been with denotes close proximity rather than general nearness. You see, these men weren't somewhat near to Jesus. They were in close proximity daily, daily listening, daily watching everything he did. Which leads us to, the, to, the, to answer our next question. Well, for what reason did they speak? The, the, the apostle said that they, we cannot but help speaking of what we have seen and heard. You see, time spent in close proximity with Jesus, watching him and listening to him, fired these men up. Not any training, not any book, not any TED Talk, not any political rally, but rather the, the actions and words of Jesus radically changed them. Church family, there, there is no replacement, absolutely no replacement for daily spending time in, in close proximity with Jesus in his word and in prayer, reading, watching, and listening to all he has said and done. Listen to me, doing so, it will change the very fabric of who you are. It'll change you. Don't believe me? Well, follow me on this, on this train of thought. The apostles proclaimed Christ with confidence despite their inadequacy. Well, how did they do this? Because they had been with Jesus. Well, for what reason were they with Jesus? Because what they watched him do and listened to him say changed their life. Well, what did Jesus say and do? Well, he lived and preached a message of life and hope found in him and him alone. That's what we've been following. Simple enough? Now, let's, let's go backwards in this and see if we can find some application. Jesus lived and preached a message of life and hope found in him alone. Well, what is the result of hearing this message? Well, belief in his message changes lives. Deeply, on every level. Well, what is the response to a changed life? You spend close proximity with Jesus. Well, what happens when you spend close proximity with Jesus? You speak his message with confidence despite your inadequacies. Restoration failure, like this, this all works together here. The message of Jesus changes people both spiritually and physically. People are changed spiritually by being saved from God's wrath and instead given God's spirit, his Holy Spirit. And people are changed physically, not just that a a, a lame crippled man can now walk, but also in a way that a cowardly, remember Peter denied Christ to a teenage girl, a cowardly, untrained, uneducated, lowly fisherman can speak with boldness to the people who killed his master. The message of Jesus is, changes lives. But this is not for your glory, but for his. Don't miss this truth. Jesus's message of salvation for you is not 
about you, but rather it's about boldly proclaiming Christ crucified and raised regardless of the time, people, or circumstances. The point of of this message, the point of this passage is not for you to walk away wanting and wanting only the boldness of Peter and John, but rather that you walk away proclaiming the same Christ as Peter and John. The boldness, not about you. The gospel, not about you. It's about King Jesus. And the message he has given us has freed us from a life of bondage to sin and shame. And he has given us a platform to proclaim not our kingdom, but his kingdom to a world that is still living in bondage and whose end, if not changed, will be eternal wrath. Therefore, those of you who have been changed by the gospel, proclaim the gospel boldly. It's what these men did. It's what these apostles did, and the religious leaders of that day hated it and strongly opposed it. That was their reaction. Opposition and hate. But the reaction to the message of God wasn't the only reaction of that day. You see, the people nearby who had seen and heard what had happened praised God for it. Let's read verse 21. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people, for all the people were praising God for what had happened. The people praise God. That's, this is our last point of, of observation. Simple enough. The, these people that were watching praised God. Um, we can all agree that this is a good thing. Like People praising God. Like This is a good thing, especially when one group of the major characters of the story are opposing God. Praising God is better than than opposing him. Praising God is a good thing. I think we can all agree on that. God heals a crippled man. Praise God. God provides for a bill when money is tight. Praise God. God heals a family member of sickness. Praise God. We praise God for all he has done. Yet, I want to make a distinction here. Praising God doesn't always mean that you're proclaiming him. Hear me out. We've all seen the the athlete. We've all seen the celebrity. We've all seen the political leader or or maybe even a coworker say, after they've done something great or received some kind of award, say, I first want to thank God and then like go on to make it all about them. Like, praise God, but like, look how great I am. Like, glory to God, but it's all about me. You see, Jesus in Matthew 15 has a similar, makes a similar comment to the Pharisees while he was on earth. He said, he quoted Isaiah and said, These people honor me with their lips, yet their heart is far from me. Here's my point here. Acclamation over the work of God is not enough. If your praise of God does not move you to proclaim God, to proclaim Christ crucified and raised as the only hope, for salvation and restoration, you are just another voice in the crowd. Let me highlight what I mean by by another voice in the crowd. During his ministry on, on earth, Jesus had many crowds that followed him. In fact, everywhere he went, crowds would follow him from town to town to town. Um, and on one of these occasions, while, while a crowd was, was following him, he decided to share with them a parable known as the parable of the sowers. 
It's a pretty well-known parable of Jesus, and if you don't know how it goes, um, here it is. There are four soils where seed is scattered. You have hard soil or path. You have rocky ground, a, a thorny briar, thorny soil, and good, rich soil. Jesus explains that these four soils represent reactions of those who hear the gospel. Gospel seeds that are um, thrown and, and, and sowed on, on hard soil are immediately snatched away by Satan. Gospel seeds that are sown on rocky soil are those who receive it in joy, but because they don't have any roots to sustain them, they don't produce any fruit. Gospel seeds that are, that are sown in, in thorny soil who are those who receive the gospel, but the cares and desires of this life choke them out, and they too don't produce fruit. Finally, gospel seeds that are sown on the good soil produce fruit of 30, 60, 100 times more. See, this was the parable that Jesus shared with a crowd that was following him. Now, why do I bring this up and why does this and how does it tie to this message? Well, the parable, while referring to, referring to four different soils, really contains three groups of people. And the first group of people, the hard soil, do not receive the message. In fact, you could say that they oppose it. Their hearts were hard to it and deny its power. The second group of people, rocky, thorny soil, are those who receive the message with joy yet do nothing about it. They may praise the message, but they don't go any further. They may give glory to God for it, but it has no lasting effect on their life and they don't produce fruit. The third group of people, this good, rich soil, receive the message and produce fruit. They receive the message of salvation and are changed by it and act on it. They bear the fruit of proclaiming the gospel. Church family, here, here's the point. Acclamation and praise for the gospel message is not a replacement, but rather a catalyst for the proclamation of the gospel. Just because you praise something doesn't mean it has had any effect on your life in any way. Don't believe me? Well, well, follow me here. Six days before Jesus was crucified, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey's back. And a crowd of people sung praises of hallelujah. Praise him, praise him, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Yet six days later, that same crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They praised him on one day and cursed him on the next. Their praise, not even in the slightest, did it affect them. Church family, if your praise of, of, of Jesus does not lead you to proclaim salvation found in his name, you need to ask yourself, what, what soil are you standing in? Jesus makes it abundantly clear in that parable that there is only one soil that produces fruit. So church family, like, produce fruit. Now, don't confuse my words here. I'm not making a comment on anyone's salvation. Rather, I'm making a comment on your response to salvation. In response to salvation, we go and make disciples. We act as witnesses of the salvation, and we, we share it with everyone. We share it with our, our neighbors. We share it with our friends. We share it with our family. We share it with our coworkers, and we share it with our neighbors and our friends and our family and coworkers, and we do so again and again and again, and we do not stop until Jesus returns or calls us home. We proclaim the gospel message, and we praise him for it. Do both. 
Let me close with this. And I'm done. There's been a lot of talk this week about wearing a, a, a face mask and doing so, we can show love for others. Honestly, right now, I'm not really interested um, in, in hearing anyone's opinion on this subject, nor am I going to share mine. I've heard the arguments, and I've seen the social media posts both ways. It's loving, it's not. Because of this reason, because of this fact, because of this research. So many people arguing about wearing a mask or not in the name of love, yet there is absolute silence when it comes to sharing the greatest love that we could ever share. If you want to show your ultimate love for others, share the message of Jesus. We do other things, yes, but we share the message of Jesus. Pendulette, a, a, a magician from the Penn and Teller Act, who is an atheist, once said this, if you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to evangelize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe there is everlasting life and it is possible and not tell them? Now, this is from the mouth of an atheist. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them of the hope that is found in Jesus? Church family, mask, no mask, pandemic, no pandemic, I don't care. We praise and proclaim that salvation is found in no one else except in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. So let's boldly proclaim him with confidence because he is the only hope of our world. Y'all pray with me.